When it comes to hard work, there's one important rule. Pick the right tool for the right job. That's why Chevy offers a family of Silverado pickup trucks designed just for the job. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Hey, how's it going, Reg? How you doing? Good? Good, good, good. All right. What do you say? We just get started here? All right. You're all sitting there? I'm all sitting here. Let's just do it. All right. Star Smile Strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Lo and behold, look who's just sitting there waiting. <laughs> but, as I always say, while listening is important, just as important, just a, a just a hair below that is your efforts to get out there and tell the world what your favorite podcast is. So go out and tell your friends and tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. That loyalty and devotion, oh, much, much, much appreciated. If you like what you hear, you go to WGNRadio.com and hit the prompt for podcasts. You find the prompt for this podcast and take cover, duck and cover in the Oppenheimer vein here, an atomic bomb's worth of podcasts will envelop you in a huge mushroom cloud. (laughs) At least 376 of them, which makes this one 377. I think I've mentioned on uh, at least a few occasions over the last, what do we got now? Seven years and 377 episodes? I think I've mentioned that I'm not a a gambler. I'm not a big gambler. I'm uh I have gone to Las Vegas. I have I've played poker. I've I've gone to racetracks. I've been in gambling situations and gambling atmospheres and I have gambled. I've bought you know, I've I've played blackjack, I've played poker, I've played slot machines, I've played craps. Not very much. That's still one that's still that one that blows my mind. I've played roulette. I've been to casinos. I've been to Las Vegas many, 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 many times. Uh but for for work and play, I've been to Vegas. But the play part for me has never been gambling. Uh I I would I start my my dad loved to go to the racetrack, um, so I as a, as a as a young kid, 
My, I would not all the time. Uh, and he didn't go all the time, but he enjoyed it. No question about that. Um, and as I, when I was, you know, even I would, I would have to say, well, yeah, I mean, I was probably, you know, still in single digits when I've gone, when I went to the racetrack with my dad, the old Arlington park track here in the Chicago area, which sadly is closed now. Um, but yeah, I remember, and I remember being into, um, you know, especially in 1973 when secretariat, uh, won the Triple Crown, was one of the greatest horses of all time. Heck, I was only, what, nine years old or so? Ten years old? So, uh, you know, I was I was very aware of of the racetrack and, and things like that. And as I was got older, as I said, I used to play. I don't play cards anymore as much, but I certainly did in my... In my teens and 20s, it's kind of a rite of passage. Used to have a regular game with a lot of my friends through the last years of high school and then, uh, you know, into college, no question. Um, as I said, I've played slot machines, but I've, you know, I've, I've, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've gambled. There's no question about that. And I've been in the gambling atmosphere. And some of my friends are, are serious gamblers. But that's just, I've never, uh, you know, I, I've just never really been something that I've totally embraced with time. And I'm not sure why, um, but I just, it, it, I, I was around it. I certainly should have. I guess maybe once again, I'm, I'm just a little too logical sometimes. And I look at the odds and it's just like, you know, <laughs> I never got that juice. I never got that thrill. That a lot of people, uh, you know, feed off of. I've, I get that thrill and juice off of other hobbies of mine, but I never really got it off of gambling. And um, and today's world is completely embracing and endorsing gambling in in all ways. It used to be. A very serious vice. I mentioned this because just last week I was talking about Pete Rose, and of course he was, you know, not being, um, you know, being banned from baseball and not being uh, admitted into the Hall of Fame because he broke the non-gambling rules. So gambling's been sort of on my mind the past week or so, and then it was compounded by the fact that um, just recently there was a, a one point five eight billion billion with a b mega millions lottery that was won by a single winner apparently in florida i mean we think about it you know they they named that game mega millions and now it's regularly getting in the billions over the last year or so there's been several billion dollar mega million jackpots and the powerball as well last year in 2022 in november there was a two billion dollar powerball and this year there was a one billion dollar powerball i mean these these uh these lotteries are getting to be 
billion dollars. I mean, there was a time, I'll never forget, here in Chicago for, for a short time in the 80s, it was the largest jackpot in, in the history of, of the American lottery. And some of you may remember this. It was a $40 million lottery jackpot. $40 million. Now, by t- in today's standards, that's people don't even play <laughs> when it's forty million. I mean, forty million dollars is a lot of money, right? Even if you take, you know, that's if you take it over twenty years. I think he actually did take it over twenty years. I, you know, because back then they offered you this lump sum, which was less, or they offered you the the whole thing over a twenty period time. And this guy in Chicago named Mike Witkowski still remember his name because. Lotto fever had taken over, and this at the time was the largest lottery jackpot in history for the United States, at least. If maybe the world, I don't know. I certainly in the United States, forty million dollars. And today, we have become so blasé that people don't even start playing the lottery in any kind of serious way until it's 500 million 40 you know even if you took the 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 reduced number to take that sum and get a lump sum now it's always a little less oh okay so you say you won 40 and then the lump sum is 20 or 15 oh what am i gonna do with 15 million (laughs) don't you love that but that's the way people think now we have to have three hundred million. You know, the, the lottery has to be at least five hundred million to get any real lines around the block. Until it's that much, I'm sure there's regular players. There's no question, but that's how blasé uh, and jaded we've become. And then, of course, when it reaches the eight hundred, nine hundred million, and then goes over the the billion mark, then everybody starts going nuts, and everybody starts to buy the their tickets, and they all start. You know, the news, the local news goes out to the lottery, uh, you know, to the convenience stores or the places that sell lottery tickets, and they interview the people, and they all think they're going to win. And they all say what they're going to do, and I'm going to go on a vacation, and I'm going to buy a house. And, and I have never seen on the news when, and everybody who buys a ticket says they're winning, right? But I have never seen on a local newscast or national newscast anyone who was interviewed on the day or of the lottery when they all the reporters run out from every station and same story all the time and it's the same quotes but it's just become this obligatory story okay the the lottery is a billion dollars go find a thing talk to people i mean it's got to be it's it's the worst story there is in terms of interest you can it's like they're reading a script but i've never seen Anyone who was interviewed on the TV news saying how they were going to win, of course, and saying what they were going to do with the money, I've never seen them win on a, on a, on a, on a newscast. I've never seen them say, hey, you know what? 
Yesterday, we talked to Frank Smith when we were at this uh, convenience store in, in, uh, in Evergreen Park, and it turns out he did win. Here's his, here's his interview where he said he was going to win, and he did. I've never seen that follow-up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so, so I'm wondering now, uh, as I've said many times, a few times, uh, as I said, I, I went to Vegas. I've gone to Vegas many times. And uh, over the years, over especially of the last 10 or 15 years, having seen Elton John perform there many times. But I also, over a 10-year period, uh, when I was working in public relations, went to Las Vegas two or three times a year because of different trade shows that were held there. So I've been to Vegas many, many, many times. And I can honestly say that I have not spent a quarter, forget a dollar, forget 10, forget 20. I have not spent a quarter gambling in Las Vegas since the mid-80s. I did go there in the mid-80s with a group of friends, and we spent two or three days there. And I did go, and we did play two or three days' worth of blackjack. And that was the last time. I had fun, mostly because I was with my friends. I enjoyed the camaraderie of my friends more than I enjoyed the gambling. It was fun. And I've been back to Vegas many times on my own, on business, with friends, and I just, I, I have, I, re, I recall one time when I was working, going to a trade show one day, and our hotel was connected to the convention center in Las Vegas, but it was quite a walk, right? And of course, the way the hotels in Las Vegas are, are designed to get to those you it's it's almost you need a you need a a treasure map a scavenger map to find the elevators <laughs> they do not want you going back to your room they make the, they put those elevators in the in the farthest point in, in hidden so you forget you don't want to why well, don't feel like going all the way back to the room or I, you, you you oh i'm going to go back to my room and then there's so you know on the way you have to walk through so many different uh, casino gambling areas, whether it's the slot machines or the 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 crap tables or the blackjack tables or the roulette wheels or the uh, the other special rooms with baccarat and all that other stuff. Uh, and oh, there's they they keep telling you there's elevators, but it seems like you're walking forever. They do not want you to leave. There's a whole psychology that goes on there. And I remember walking from the convention center, huge, big place, getting out of there, walking down these long hallways that connected the convention center to the hotel that we stayed in. And then having, then once you get to that point, walking this, this never-ending journey, it seemed, to get to the, the elevators and walking past the crap tables and the blackjack tables and the slot machines. And I remember one time hitting the, finally getting to that 
elusive elevator bank, which was hidden. (laughs) And finally getting there, and I hit the button, the up button, and it dawned on me that I had been there at that point, it's like two or three days. And I had not stopped. Not even did you say that I, oh, I'll throw $10 down or I'll, I'll sit by a slot machine for 10 minutes or something. I never even stopped in my walk to the hotel. Walked past every possible temptation of gambling. The lights, the bells, what, every temptation, visually and audio, that that the, the casinos try to tempt you with. I was oblivious to it. It was, it was literally as if I was walking and there was empty and it was just big, long, empty corridors with nothing there. And I wasn't making a big statement. I was just walking to get to those elevators. I never paid attention. I never was once interested in or once tempted to say, oh, maybe I'll you know throw $10 in a slot machine and see what happens. Or maybe I'll play a couple of hands of blackjack. I, I, I just, it's not in my, it's just not in my DNA. It's not in my, in my list of things to do. And I was saying to myself, as I was waiting for the elevator, and I've, I've always repeated this to people, and I, and I still remember it very clearly where I was and, and when it happened, because I said, my gosh, you know, it's been two days, and I have not, not only not have I not placed a bet here in Las Vegas, I haven't even thought about it. It wasn't even on my mind. As I said, I wasn't trying to say, I am going to try to walk through these these casinos and not be tempted. I'm going to see if I could do it. No. I was like, okay. It was as if I was in, you know, Montana at a at a at a trade show in Montana and I'm and the trade show's done and I'm going to my hotel. And there's no slot machines or of any kind of gambling there. There's just a straight shot, and I get to my room. And it dawned on me that, I, first of all, I, I did that without even realizing I was doing it. But not only that, I was like, think about, especially in Las Vegas, right? I mean, this is where, and this is, you know, 25, 30 years ago when gambling wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Las Vegas was still the spot that you had to come to. A lot of their legalized gambling has happened in the last 25 to 30 years. But uh, this was before then when still, if you wanted to do some major gambling, you had to go to Las Vegas. There weren't any, I don't, I don't even know at this point in Illinois if there were any of those riverboats yet. And even those had all restrictions on them. If you wanted to do some major serious gambling, you still had to go to Las Vegas at this time. So you had, you know, the country's, if not the world's, major gamblers there at any given time. And some people could have a gambling addiction, right? Where they lose everything. I remember when we went, as I was telling you, I went on this vacation with my friends in the the 80s when we were in our 20s and... 
um, there was about five or six, seven of us. I can't remember. We had a couple of rooms. And the first day, the first day, you know, we all went off kind of on our own. And a couple of guys went together. I remember playing blackjack kind of um, specifically with one or two guys. But everybody sort of, the first day at least, they just sort of went off on their own to explore. I had been to Las Vegas as a little kid one time with my parents and my extended family. It was almost like, I remember that family vacation. It was, it was almost like a trade-off <laughs> because we went to California and we did all the, and I went with some cousins of mine and aunts and uncles along with my parents. And uh, so we had a nice group, maybe 10, 15 people. But it was only, you could sell. I mean, at the time I was very young, uh, but it was clearly a trade-off. I was maybe seven or eight years old. It was clearly a trade-off. Now, when I look back on it, we went to California and we did all the kid stuff, right? This was before there was a Disney World in Florida. So we went to Disneyland. You know, we stayed at the Disneyland Hotel. So we went to Disneyland every day for two or three days and we went to SeaWorld and the Universal Studios lot, you know, uh, tour and all those those cool kid things that you did in Las in in California and Los Angeles at that time. But then on the way home, we also stopped in Las Vegas. So the adults could have some fun for two or three days. <laughs> and and you know you and kids are still I don't, I still believe that kids are not allowed in the in the casinos especially back then. This is in this in this in the mid 70s. And so uh me and my two cousins, uh, my we had an old one of my cousins was a little older, so they trusted her to watch me and my other younger cousin. She was about a couple years older than me, so we stayed in the hotel room while the adults went down and went to some shows and and you know who knows what they did. And we were upstairs in our hotel room. We just were told to, you know, we had some room service while the the parents were there, and then. Uh, stay here until we come back, right? And everything worked out fine. But yeah, there was clearly... uh, But I do remember walking around Las Vegas and seeing all the lights and seeing all the, uh, you know, the casinos. And it was almost like, you know, this was the... You know, those casinos, since I was a little kid, it couldn't get in. Couldn't... You couldn't even go in there. It was almost like the Forbidden City, you know, once again, you would have thought that in my upbringing, then the fact that I was exposed to a Las Vegas casino and the lights and all the people and the and the bells ringing and all that, that I would have some curiosity of that at a young age, and it would it might have sparked some interest in me to want to go to the gambling uh, areas and and go to Las Vegas and do that because. I was so close to it, and yet I wasn't allowed. So we, you know, we always want what we can't have, right? I, it just—I don't know—just wasn't in my system. I—I uh, I probably get that from my mom. My mom was was not into that at all, and my dad was. It was an interesting <laughs> talk about opposites attracting. Um, my dad loved that. You know, he was—he was a man of his time. He was an old school kind of guy. And so he enjoyed that, you know. And um, 
But uh, and and I tried to. I mean, like I said, I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was trying to expose me to this. Like, hey, this is what I like to do. But I just, you know, we we just didn't jive on that at all. Like I said, when I was a little kid, he'd take me to the track with him, and I used to go there. And I, and then when I became a teenager or in my twenties, I went there with my friends, and I used to bet, and I was pretty good at it because I I. A lot. I knew a lot of the jockeys from when I was a little kid, and they were still there. And I was like, "Oh, I'm going." In fact, one day at the Arlington Park racetrack, I can't remember when it was. It was in the '80s. Sometimes you can look it up on Google. There was a a very popular and successful local jockey here who who basically did most of his riding at Arlington. A guy named Early Fires was his name, and he was like always the leading jockey at Arlington Park. And I remember his name as a little kid. You know, I'd get the the program and I'd see all the things. And I mean, I didn't, you know, I would say to my dad, oh, bet, you know, bet $2 for me on this when I was a little kid, right? I mean, you know, but I remember the name Early Fires. My dad always talked about Early Fires, Early Fires. So one day, went with a group of friends, um, you know, once again, in our early 20s or so, hanging out, going to Arlington, being real cool, you know, and I... Basically, that day, I just said, "You know what?" And my friends didn't know who Early Fires was. They didn't. They 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 bet a little, but they didn't go to Arlington like I had as a little kid. So they didn't know these these jockeys' names. I knew their names, having gone there over the years, and a lot of them were still there. So I said, "You know what? I'm just you know." I first I, the the first race, I said, "Well, you know what? I'm betting on this one because Early Fires is the jockey." And my friends didn't even know what I was talking about, whatever. And he wins. Now, they used to have at least nine races a day at Arlington. I mean, in the 70s, it was really the peak of, of, of horse racing. I mean, Arlington Park used to have racing, I believe, every day. Every day. You'd, go, you'd look in the newspaper, and there was a line on the horses every day. And now Arlington Park is gone. I mean, there's maybe one or two racetracks here in Chicago, and, and I don't know how popular they are. I mean, we went to, I've gone to uh, Churchill Downs and to Pimlico, where they have both the the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. I also want to get to Bar- Belmont Park in New York to at least not go to the actual Triple tr- Crown race because that would be a madhouse. But at least I like to visit all three of the Triple tr- Crown tracks, so I have one more to go. We went to Pimlico, which stages the um, the Preakness in Baltimore. You know, not when the Preakness was running. And my God, it was a ghost town. Even when we went to Churchill Downs, where they have the Kentucky Derby, Churchill Downs. We went there, and it was crowded, but it wasn't packed. So racing has really um, completely, you know, hit a, you know, hit a, a low point. But back in the seventies, Arlington Park used to draw tens of thousands of people on a daily basis, and certainly on the weekends. Nine races, seven days a week. I'm pretty sure it was seven days a week. And um, so I bet on early fires on the first race, and he won. And I'm like, hoo 
I told you. And they're, well, my friends are kind of looking at me like, where did you pull that one out of, you know? <laughs> and so he was in another race. And so I'm like, I'm going with early fires. And so <laughs> I bet him again. And sure enough, he won again. And so finally, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to bet on early fires in every race today. And I believe, I believe it was in 1983 when we did this. And at Arlington, I bet on early fires every race he was in. And he won seven races that day. <laughs> I won seven races because I bet on early fires every day. Every race. And that was like a record at Arlington Park. <laughs> and I almost I think after that I pretty much retired because I'm like I'm never going to do as good as that <laughs> but once again I never was a I mean I wasn't a big gam even on those on those on those races I wasn't betting a much a much I never bet on long shots I as I said before I'm kind of a realist and so gambling goes against every kind of logic right so maybe that's why it's just never appealed to me. I don't know. I enjoy it. And I've, I enjoyed going to Arlington Park over the last several years. And I'll be honest with you, even when we went to Churchill Downs and even when we went to Pimlico, I went and visited them as sightseeing. I did not bet on any races at Churchill Downs. I did not bet on any races at Pimlico. The last several years when I would go to Arlington Park maybe once a year in the summer because it was a beautiful, beautiful, it burned down in the, in the early 80s, mid-80s, and then the owner, uh, Richard Dishiswau, just built a, a, a palace, one of the greatest, most beautiful tracks in the world. It was gorgeous, and it was it was just beautiful to go. And I would just enjoy going there, and I love horses, I love watching horses. I love being around horses. I like riding horses. I'm not a big horse rider. Don't get me wrong. I just like to go on a horseback ride when we go. So I'm not, you know, some kind of trained horse rider. But I just really love horses. I really do. Just majestic animals. But I would never bet. I would just like to watch. I'd go to the paddock and see them when they're before they get out to the to the course and just sort of see them. And I liked the atmosphere; it was beautiful. You're outside, and then they watch the race. And I'd say, "Oh, I told you that one was going to win." And a lot of times, "Oh, I'm glad I didn't bet that one." A lot of times, my wife would bet. She likes to to bet a little, but I just it just it's I I just don't. I would I'd rather have that money in my hand and and not. I understand that there's chances. I get I get the psychology of betting, but I like a sure thing. And I'm like, you know what? If I have that $20, I can get something that I really enjoy doing or, or having as opposed to that hope that I could get more and then it goes away and I lose it. It's the way I've always been. 
Um, maybe to my benefit and maybe to my detriment. I don't know. We'll see when the final tallies are put out. But uh, so as I said, uh, I've been around gambling. I enjoy the atmosphere. I'll watch my. I'll watch other people do it. But when it comes to actually getting involved in it myself, I just I'm I, I'm not. I don't get the juice off of it, and I know a lot of people do, and that's what keeps them going there back all the time. So obviously, as I said, um, in the last thirty years, our society, especially here in the United States, has completely changed its view of gambling. It used to be on the books, you know, a horrible vice, right? You know, gambling, terrible. Yet, because of people's undeniable appetite for gambling, because it was illegal, it basically gave rise to organized crime. Bookies. That's what gave all basically organized crime. If you think about it, yes, there were they. You know, they robbed, and you know, I mean, they they're, they're organized crime, right? It's crime. It's still crime. I'm not trying to whitewash, but most of the 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 the, the empire of the organized crime world was offering the so-called society's vices, the things that people wanted to do and enjoyed doing, but the government and society made it illegal. The rise of the gangsters and Al Capone in the, in the 20s was an outgrowth of prohibition, banning alcohol in the United States. So what did the what did what did the what did the mobsters and the gangsters do? They made their own illegal liquor, opened up speakeasies, and sold illegal liquor and made billions. John F. Kennedy's father, Joseph Kennedy, made his initial fortune as a alcohol bootlegger. In the 20s and 30s, before Prohibition was then overturned. But gambling, prostitution, drugs, all these so-called vices are what organized crime (laughs) offered people. Now, I don't know how strong the organized crime world is in terms of those vices because many of our vices have now become accepted. Drugs, at least marijuana, now legal in many states. I don't think it's going to be that long before it's, it's legalized nationally, federally. But certainly the states where marijuana sales uh, are legal are seeing huge, huge new revenue sources. 
Alcohol, obviously, is legal again after prohibition. But gambling, gambling has been an amazing turnaround in this country. It was There was a time when really the only place that you could legally gamble was in Las Vegas and Atlantic City in New Jersey and little pockets of places, but not like today where every state has a casino. Every city, Chicago is going to get their own casino after you know 30 years of waiting and 40 years of waiting. Illinois has had riverboat casinos and now land-based casinos for the last 30, 40 years. Las Vegas still attracts the the gambler, both serious and casual, by the other, uh, you know, attractions there, the big hotels, the the uh, performers, which is what they've always used as the attractant. But my gosh, gambling today has taken on a completely different view in the world, and especially in the United States. There are off-track betting places that have been around for years, but like I said, now there are land-based casinos. There are slot machines and restaurants. How many times do you drive past the place? Slots, video, poker. That's gambling. Major League Baseball, as I said in the last podcast, which which does not allow gambling on its books and has banned Pete Rose because he got caught gambling, even though he never bet uh, against his team. But baseball and other sports have so embraced gambling that it's a part of the discussion. Football is made for gambling and really has driven, as football's... Um, Popularity has grown, so has and, and 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 so is gambling. The two have gone hand in hand. They always have. Back in the seventies on CBS, they used to have Brett Musburger and Jimmy the Greek, who was a well-known odds maker in Las Vegas, and he would come on, and they wouldn't talk about gambling per se, but he would give the odds, and he would give his picks. Well, who do you think he was talking to? Every gambler in the country. But they just didn't say it. Oh, we have Jimmy the Greek to talk about his predictions. His predictions were the, the official betting line. <laughs> Nobody was being fooled here. But you know, in America, we always we, we, we think semantics makes a difference. And it's so silly. You know, we, 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 a lot of times we're in such denial and we're getting past that ridiculous viewpoint. Like just just call it what it is. You know, for years, people have been, you know, using drugs and marijuana. And finally, people said, well, why aren't we making money off this? Why are we letting this underground, uh, you know, drug culture make this money when we're not, we're having this war on drugs that's not working. So we might as well at least go with the, with the, ba- the, the, the lowest supposedly uh, detrimental drug. But that's taken, what, 50, 60, 70 years to get us to that point? We've got th- that Puritan ethic in our, in our DNA. We were founded by it. 
and it's taken you know 200 and some years of this country and 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 even longer since we've been in this country from the 1600s you know it's taken 300 you know years almost 400 years to 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 finally get past that puritan guilt of some things now you can argue the benefits and detriments that it's done to society but at least we're not being you know hypocrites because that's what human behavior's done it may have not been legal on the books but people have been doing it for centuries okay let's be honest and we're finally being honest but um but yeah, I'm just, uh, it's just never been my cup of tea. So naturally, the lottery is gambling. Now they're trying, now once again, you know, we have tried to mask the gambling aspect of the lottery as much as we can, right? It's still gambling. You're spending money on chance, on pure luck and pure chance. That's the definition of gambling. So if you buy a lottery ticket, excuse me, whether it's a, whether it's, you know, for a mega ball, power ball, whatever the balls they are anymore, I don't even know the games. Scratch-offs daily, they got a million games, right? It's gambling. It's no different than playing blackjack or putting money into a slot machine. It's gambling. It's a game of chance. As I said, though, we've tried to um, dress it up a little by saying that, well, you know, the money from the lottery goes to education. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know. How can you argue with that, right? We all want to uh, provide money for education for the kids. So if you want to, um, you know, feel good about what you're doing, you say, "Well, you know, I'm I'm playing the lottery, but I'm also, you know, giving to the education fund." You know, at least in Illinois, I don't know how it is around the country, but I know in Illinois that the money that is raised by the lottery that goes to the education fund does not add to the education fund. It supplements it. So if the, in other words, to put put it very simply, now I don't know if this has changed, but for a good part of the lottery it was. I still think this is is still the case. I don't think anybody cares anymore because everybody just wants to win a billion dollars. But I don't know how much the, the education aspect of the lottery comes into play anymore it did in its early days to justify it lawmakers had to justify it to some of their more you know religious or conservative anti-gambling constituencies like hey i know that we're we're kind of you know we're, we're the the government's getting into gambling here this is a vice but we're doing it and the money is not going to just be thrown away uh, it's going to go to the education fund. Oh well, okay. There's a, you know, there's at least some kind of a of a trade off. But it wasn't like in the budget, for instance, just to use some numbers. Let's say that the 
education budget in the state is $100 million, which is ridiculous, but let's just use that as, a, as an easy number to use. Let's say it's $100 million. The money gained from the lottery ticket sales in Illinois, let's say that's $50 million, right? That doesn't mean that now education has $150 million to play with. It just means that that $100 million that was going to go to the education fund has now been supplemented by $50 million. So now there's an extra $50 million floating around that could be spent on something else. So my point is there's no extra money going into the fund. The lottery sales simply goes into the fund and and then whatever money is over the 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 established budget then that can go to somewhere else so it's kind of a sleight of hand trick it was kind of sold as if hey look we're going to give this to the education fund and you go wow so now they've got they're going to have extra money to do things in education no they're going to have the same amount of money in education it's just that now the that other money can go somewhere else but the basic allotted money is the same number so it it goes to the 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 fund but it sort of doesn't it's sleight of hand but it it sounded good when they were trying to get this passed and most people don't look at it in the, into the details and so oh sure if it's going to your education fund then fantastic okay well where i'm not too comfortable with it but at least the money's going to a good cause and the money is going to a good cause but it's not extra money whatever the education whatever money is spent on education is the same number and the lottery money just goes into that fund and then whatever that number is minus the the budgetary number, then that money can be spent somewhere else. And we don't know where that other money goes. (laughs) So, yeah, it's kind of a little sleight-of-hand trick. But, once again, when we're trying to, uh, you know, bring a former societal vice into the accepted culture and society we try to make it sound as uh, harmless as possible you know as i said before the government was looking at all this money being made by by drug cartels and drug dealers in our failed war against drugs and so they said why don't we start to make some money off of this why are we letting these illegal people make this money? You know, governments need more revenue streams, and here was a stream that was established, and they were just kind of overlooking it because it was a vice. So it waited a long enough time when there was enough people that used it recreationally, breaking the law, Right? And they say suddenly, you know what? Now it's it's okay to use it. But you know, wh- 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 well, but this money that we get is going to go for this, and and we're also going to, uh, you know, the dispensaries. 
We're going to open those up to minority-owned businesses. So they're always trying to make a greater good. Like, well, we're doing this. It, what this once was a vice is now accepted, but, we're, but it's going to be good. We're doing it for the good. We're always trying to dress it up. But there's no question that gambling has taken on uh, a much more prominent and accepted and encouraged and endorsed role in our society. Now, the government will say that, you know, like I said, they try to take away the, the gambling aspect of it. Like, oh, it's fun. You could have some fun. Um, that's usually what vices are about, too. You know, they're fun. <laughs> uh, and they always, they always uh, you know, try to add the caveat, too. But please, you know, only bet with what you can afford. Okay, that goes against every every tenant of gambling. A real gambler and an addictive gambler doesn't know when to stop. That's by definition. Let it ride. So they can they go on record as saying, "Well, our slogan is, or you know, we try to say, and if you know anybody who has a gambling problem, you ever watch the lottery, you know." commercials and they'll always have this little disclaimer oh if you know somebody has a gambling problem have them call this number so they try to say oh look we don't you know we're you know at one on one hand they're encouraging you to gamble on the next one they're reminding you but please you know do it within limits if you're an addictive to anything you can't do it in limits that's why you're addicted to it the whole juice and fun of gambling is Continuing to gamble. How many times does a gambler win huge pot? You know, at at at, at, at the slot machines or at the at the craps table or at the at the blackjack table. Do they walk away? Most of the times they don't, and most of the times they lose what they won, and then they even lose even more. When you all you have to do is walk down the strip. In Las Vegas, at night, preferably, when all the lights are on, when it's Las Vegas at its apex, when it's, when, it's, when it's being a peacock showing off what it is, walk down the street, walk from one end of the strip to the other at you know 9 o'clock at night and look at the lights and look at the hotels and look at the... the, the uh, Ferris wheels and and the Eiffel Towers and the Venetian canals and the giant guitars and whatever they've got to, to offer there. These multi-billion dollar structures. What, what could possibly the electric bill be? total electric bill for the strip could you imagine what the electric bill is blasting the air conditioning 24 hours a day lights all the time every all the slot machines are all electric could you imagine what the electricity bill is from one end of the strip to the other i'd love to see those those figures but when you see the huge resorts and hotels that are constantly being built or upgraded in las vegas that's how you know 
who's really winning. It's not the gamblers. It's the house. So to say to a gambler, only do what you can afford. Only do... Look at one of those hotels. That Those hotels weren't bit, uh, built on gamblers doing what they could afford or stopping when they were ahead. No, no. Those hotels are built on the money the house has taken in from all the losses that the gamblers have taken. So the town itself is a testament to who's ahead. If you are planning a vacation to Las Vegas and you think you're going to gamble, then whatever your plane and hotel, whatever you might have budgeted for your plane and your hotel and your food and entertainment, then you better add another $1,000 to it. At least. At least. That's a casual person. At least you're going to spend $1,000 on gambling if you're there for three or four days. Guarantee you. So in my view, I'd rather have that $1,000 in my pocket to go on another trip somewhere. Oh, Jim, you're no fun. I guess not. Maybe I'm not. What can I say? So the lottery is probably the easiest and the most present form of gambling that most people probably do partake in. You know, you have to th- you, you have to be I think when you start to play a slot machine or you play craps, whether you, you know or 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 you know or you or you play video poker. So I said before, many restaurants now and bars have that. So it's not that you don't have to go, you don't have to get on a plane and fly to Las Vegas anymore if you want to get your little gambling fix. And here in Chicago, there's there's several casinos around, one right near O'Hare in Des Plaines, the Rivers Casino. Out, one's out in Elgin and Aurora. But those take at least a little effort. You know, you have to go out and seek those. Now, maybe at a local bar or a local restaurant, it's a little easier. But you still have to go there. But the lottery is the easiest form of gambling. And maybe the less obtrusive or less dangerous. But, but you know, that's not the case. If you see some people go in and they spend, they throw down $50 on those lottery tickets or $20 or $100 on those lottery tickets. And they say, okay. Well, what's the difference between throwing that $100 on a lottery ticket or throwing that same $100 down uh, in a slot machine or in a video poker machine? But there's no question that it's easier to find a lottery ticket than it is to find maybe not as much today. It's pretty easy to find a slot machine or a video poker machine anymore now these days. But still, I would say that the lottery is the easiest one. You go to a convenience store. You go... You know, there's machines to buy them without even going to, you know, to the counter. If you want to scratch off. I mean, like I said, they've they've made it very easy. You know, machines like vending machines for lottery tickets, right? So, and it, it seems the most benign, right? Whoa. 
You know, well, I'll just throw $5 down. I've wasted $5 on things. And who knows? I might get lucky, right? That's, you know, don't forget. I don't know if they still use it, but early on, in, in, at least in the Illinois lottery, they, they, the, the little art, the little logo was a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? <laughs> Subliminal, but they're, they're, they're playing into those hopes and dreams. That's what the lottery is all about. But it seems benign. It doesn't seem as serious gambling. Like, wow, you're going to, oh, you're going to Las Vegas or you're going to a casino to play blackjack. Oh, you must be a serious gambler. You know, that's that. Well, I, I'm not a gambler. I play the lottery, but I'm not a gambler. Well, you are. <laughs> and we always, we always try to make excuses to ourselves when we do something that we know is kind of wrong. We justify it. Well, I mean, I, I play the lottery, but my God, I mean, once I only play a couple of bucks a week and, you know, who knows? Okay, that's fine. I have no problems with that. Once again, I'm not trying to condemn anyone that gambles. I'm just saying that I don't do it. But I've got some really good friends who really enjoy gambling, and it's more power to you. If you, if you enjoy that, if you're willing to lose the money that you're probably going to lose over the long run, if you notice when you talk to your friends who like gambling, they will always tell you when they win, but they will never tell you when they lose. And they will never, and, and, and those winning stories are a lot less. You hear them once in a while. Oh, yeah, I won you know, so much at you know, playing the slots. But, you know, they go every weekend. And you hear about a big win once a year. <laughs> 52 weeks a year. You hear about the one time that they had a big win. Hey, that's great. But the other 51 weeks, you haven't heard what they did then, and they lost three or $400 a shot. Once again, I'm not condemning it. If you enjoy gambling, more power to you. We all spend money on things that we enjoy doing. I like to go to concerts, and I've enjoyed music. I go to concerts, and I go collect things. That's my hobby. Some people collect other things. They go do other things. That's fine. Some people just like to go out every... They like to go to dinners four days a week. Fine. I don't care. Just don't look down on my thing it's oh well you must spend a lot of money on it. well what do you spend when you go to a to a bar from thursday to saturday night when you go to a bar and you go out to dinner how much money are you spending in those three or four days so i'm not condemning your thing so don't condemn mine if you enjoy gambling more power to you if you have the disposable income or maybe you don't i don't know but if that's what brings you, if you, if you, that's fun and it's not destroying your life, more power to you. We all have different interests. We all have different likes and dislikes. That's fine. But over the last couple of years, we've seen these lottery jackpots really grow. As I said before, 40-some years ago, $40 million jackpot, people thought that was, oh, that, that was life-changing. Now when it's $40 million, people don't even play the lottery. 
But my gosh, yeah, it is when you start to see billions being offered. And I don't even know how much these lottery tickets cost anymore. I know they used to cost a dollar. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm sure they don't cost that much. And I'm honest to God saying I don't know how much a lottery ticket costs. I can honestly say to you, I have never bought a lottery ticket. Now, my wife has when they've gotten big. And the reason I'm talking about this today is because it was said that, hey, you know, the lottery is one point whatever. One point, at one point, it was $1.3 billion and went up to $1.58 billion ultimately when someone from Florida won it, this mega millions. So my wife on Monday said, well, you know, when you're going to go to the grocery store, why don't you go pick up a couple tickets? I mean, come on. And then I told her, because I saw a story about it, I said, the, the, the odds are 1 in 302,575,350. million to 1 odds. Now, when I would go to the racetrack... If there was a horse that was 10 to 1, I would never bet it. Whoa, that's, woo, 10 to 1 odds? I mean, I've seen people bet 50 to 1 long shots, right? And sometimes they come in, no question. And you hear, whoa, he won on a long shot. Yeah, how many times did he lose on a long shot? If I don't bet on a 10 to 1 odds, whether it's you know a horse race or whatever, how can I possibly justify betting on a one in 300 million? And my wife's like, yeah, but what's, what's, what's it hurt? Just buy a couple of tickets. I said, I don't even know where I would buy them. And 302 million to one, to me, are not great odds. Once again, it's probably the, the realist in me. Maybe it's the party pooper in me. I don't know what it is. And so we didn't buy him. I did not buy him that day. And I came home from the grocery store, and she said, so did you buy the lottery tickets? I said, what do you think? It wasn't a big deal. We didn't get a big fight over it ever. But, you know, I said, hey, go. You want to buy it? Go buy it. I, In my mind, I can't justify it. And sure enough, somebody from Florida won it. So I wouldn't have won. None of those people I saw on the news at the convenience stores, none of those people won. But I guess after this, I mean, now it's a billion dollars, right? And I know the odds are ridiculous. But yes, that 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 long-held reason is Somebody has to win. Somebody's going to win. And so I'm just wondering now at this point, as silly as it sounds, I don't play when the lottery is $30 million. I sure I could use, even if I took the lump sum, I could use $15 million, right? Even $10. Five. <laughs> but I didn't even think about that. But now when I see $1.5 billion, 
1.3 billion, 2.04 uh, you know, billion. I'm wondering, am I being, am I being, I look at it as it, it's silly to think you're going to win, right? At 302, at least for the mega million, 302 million to one. My view is, don't be silly. We're not going to win. I'm wondering when you see these huge, huge jackpots, should I be looking at it from the other aspect? You're silly not to play. I've never viewed at it, viewed it from that standpoint before. But when there's a billion dollars at stake, and I don't know how much the tickets are, whether they're three dollars, two dollars, five dollars, I don't even know anymore. I I honestly do not know. But if they let's say they're two dollars or three dollars, to not maybe buy ten dollars worth of tickets regardless of the astronomical ridiculous 302 to 302 million to 1 odds the truth is that somebody for instance in this one mega million one somebody from florida in neptune beach florida did buy it with that oh what the heck attitude it's silly not to play. Oh, why not? And they did get it by themselves. I'm sure they're going to, they won't get a 1.5 billion though if they take the lump sum, but their life will have changed forever. So at this point in my life, I guess, I'm looking at these, at these, I'm not going to become a weekly uh, lottery win- player. Don't, don't think that's the case. But I'm not even a seldom lottery player. I have never bought a lottery ticket. The lottery in, the, in Illinois has been around for 50 years. It was in the 70s when it started. I remember when it started. I don't know what year it is, what year it started. Maybe it's been 45 years. I don't know. But I remember when it started. Tickets were black with orange on them. Illinois State Lottery. Uh, I remember. I totally remember it. I never have bought a lottery ticket on my own, ever. And I'm not going to become a regular lottery buyer. But I guess I'm looking at it from the standpoint is with a billion dollars at stake, which should make no difference because $30 million is just as impressive. So if I'm willing to buy a lottery ticket to win the $1.5 billion, I should be just as willing to buy it for the $30 million. Both are, are life-changing. One certainly much more than the other, but both pretty significant. But I'm lured by that number now, that billion. So I'm just wondering, am I being silly? Am I being obstinate? Am I being less fun? Am I having less optimism? Am I thinking too hard? Am I being too rooted in logic and rooted in reality? I don't know anymore. 
I still haven't bought a lottery ticket. $1.5 billion didn't tempt me. As I said, there was a Powerball, I think, last year that was $2 billion. That didn't tempt me. I don't know if my wife bought. My wife may have bought one that time, too. But I'm just wondering, the next billion-dollar lottery, maybe for the first time in my life, I'll plunk down, what do they call it, quick pick? I'll plunk down whatever it costs, two bucks, three bucks, whatever it is, and and I guess I'll have to ask somebody, well, how do I even do it? But I guess I'll take a quick pick and I'll have some, a little fun and a little stake in the lottery. And I'll succumb to the temptation, not for the first, in my, first time in my life, but for the first time in many, many years. Or maybe I won't. I'll, make, I'll keep the safe bet. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. I hope you enjoyed episode number 377. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. From the end of the web to your screen.